we are able to bring you these weekly podcasts through the financial support of our members and friends. If you are helping to sustain the ongoing work of our church with your regular donations, thank you. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring donation, visit the donate page on our website, ucofh.org, or text 833-610-0867. Thank you for helping to share worship and messages of hope with the wider community during these unprecedented times. Welcome to the United Church of Heinsberg podcast for the sixth Sunday of Easter, 2020. We are a community-centered church in rural Vermont, celebrating together virtually during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. As an open and affirming church with ties to the American Baptist, United Methodist, and United Church of Christ denominations, we're glad you're here. I'm Reverend Jared Hamilton, the pastor of the United Church of Heinsberg. Sammy Angsman has provided music for this episode, including Robert Schumann's Kinder Zenin No. 1. Special thanks to Phil Pouch for our gospel reading, which comes from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. There will be a short homily and service of morning prayers. Let's get started. Chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them.
Imagine being a frontline soldier in some war at the beginning of the 19th century. It's night, and you receive a message from command, but there's no moon, and there's no way to read the message without lighting a lamp that will expose you to enemy fire. In the early 1800s, French artillery officer Captain Charles Barbier was inspired by this predicament to create something called night writing. It was a code consisting of raised dots poked onto a piece of paper. The code used combinations of 12 dots to stand for different sounds. Over time, Barbier thought that the invention might be useful for people who were blind, so he took his papers to the Royal Institute for the Blind. There, he worked with a 13-year-old boy, teaching him to use the system. The young boy was excited by the opportunity uh, it offered, but thought that the system might be a little too complicated. He offered Barbier some ideas to improve and simplify the system, but Barbier became furious. He did not welcome the suggestions and was insulted that a mere boy would offer corrections to his system. When the boy tried to explain further, Barbier simply picked up his things and walked away from the entire project. The boy, however, did not lose heart. He took the system and incorporated his own ideas by cutting the numbers of dots uh, in half to six and making them stand for letters instead of sounds. Louis Braille was just 15 when he completed his system of writing for the blind, a system that is used today in schools all over the world with tens of thousands of books, magazines, and journals translated into his system. I enjoy stories like these, stories about something new being accomplished despite resistance. We can certainly imagine a young boy becoming too discouraged by Barbier's harsh treatment and simply dropping the project. Likewise, we can imagine the young boy going with the old soldier system despite its many difficulties, and that it would have been too difficult to really catch on. But today, the world is better because a blind teenage boy was not discouraged by a soldier's arrogance. I think about what was handed to Louis Braille and what was taught to him, and I think about how he was able to take this system, adapt it, and create something that meets the needs of hundreds of thousands of people around the world today. This creativity in the face of great difficulty is perhaps a central theme in today's gospel lesson. The first half of John's gospel has been a great adventure for Jesus and his followers. His troop have traveled around Judea and Galilee, modern-day Israel, Palestine, healing and teaching, even raising people from the dead. And because Jesus' message was so odd, and because he claimed an unsanctioned authority, Jesus has been rejected by religious leaders at every pass, and has begun to raise eyebrows uh, of the oppressive Roman occupiers. Now everyone is in Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival of Passover. After making a fashionable entrance, Jesus sneaks away from the crowds with his disciples. He washes their feet and gives them a new commandment to love one another. And he also talks about his death. 
Last week, during the fifth Sunday of Easter, Jesus began his farewell discourse, which starts at the beginning of John chapter 14. The discourse is a prolonged speech from Jesus. We can imagine it to be something like the last will and testament of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' speech is filled with hope and fears, with concerns for his closest friends and reassurances. Last week we heard his words, Do not let your heart be troubled. This week we hear, I will not leave you orphaned. Jesus continues to console his confused and grieving friends. He reminds them that to love him is to do what he did and follow what he taught. Among the many things Jesus said and did, his passage appeals back to chapter 13. A new commandment I give you this day, that you love one another. And love one another just as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are mine if you truly love one another. But it seems that Jesus is leaving more than his command as an inheritance. Another will come to help his disciples, an advocate. In Greek, the word is paraclete. Often this is rendered as advocate, helper, or intercessor. It originally had a technical meaning like lawyer or attorney. In John's Gospel, it is generally used to mean one who appears uh, in another's behalf, like a representative. Later in chapter 14, Jesus expands on what this advocate will do for his disciples. In verse 25, Jesus says, Now I have said these things while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom God will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. In verse 27, Jesus adds these famous words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The beginning of the farewell discourse centers on two themes. The first is Jesus' wish that his disciples continue his work. The second is that they take his work into new areas. Jesus knows that he will soon be taken into custody, but wants his followers to continue his message and mission. He wants his disciples to continue to bring light to the world and to love those around them by bringing healing and transformation. But Jesus also knows that if his disciples continue his work, they will not be bound by the same geographic areas as Jesus, or the same audience, or the same issues. They will encounter new difficulties and challenges, and they will be required to adapt. Jesus wants his followers to take on their own missions through the support and direction of the Holy Spirit. This is not a dogmatic movement, one that moves around the known world applying the same cultural and ethical norms regardless of location. The movement is adaptive, local, and creative. It's a movement led by the Spirit. One of the United Church of Heinsberg's three historic denominations is the United Church of Christ. In the UCC Constitution, it states that God's people are called in each generation 
to make this faith our own. It's this still-speaking faith that says that God's work to spread hope and justice is not finished. It's this still-speaking faith that reveals new avenues for God's own compassion, guidance, and truth. It's this still-speaking faith that says our faith is over 2,000 years old, our thinking is not. And it's a still-speaking faith that calls both the very faithful and those new to the faith to imagine what might be possible. Now think of Louis Braille here, taking something handed to him, really a tool for warfare if you think about it, and making something new for the betterment of the world. If God is still speaking to us even today, what's being said that might challenge the way we've always done things? What new ways are we learning that might make a positive impact in our own world today? I am mindful of the ways churches around the world have hopped on a steep technological learning curve in these last few months to live stream, video chat, and podcast worship services, support groups, and Bible studies. Folks in pulpits and pews who previously considered themselves unteachable are logging in, calling in, and supporting one another. It will be interesting to watch how these learnings are adapted to the ongoing support of those that cannot regularly gather in person. I'm also mindful that for many, these last two pandemic months have been a reset of sorts. Without all of the running around to youth events, yoga classes, and late-night meetings, priorities are coming into focus, and some feel more grounded in family, faith, and things like the outdoors. I know in our household, we are definitely reading more, playing together more, playing with our animals, exploring the woods, and eating dinner together every night. Perhaps this pandemic will also better expose the areas of injustice in our societies that the church is called to challenge and correct. Inequality among the very rich and everyone else is more apparent these days. The lack of green spaces and issues with our food systems have been exposed. The friction between human well-being and unregulated free market is no longer an economic or political issue, but an everyday Main Street issue. Even in this time of pandemic, God is still speaking, calling on us to create something new that can breathe new life into all of creation. May we listen for God. May we consider our part in Christ's ongoing work. For the sake of the world, amen. God of great wonders, we join with you in continued celebration of the love and hope of our Easter faith. Through the stories of Jesus's resurrection, we are reminded that there is no place where your love cannot reach, and even in death you bring streams of new life. Because of the pandemic, we continue to be away from each other, separated from our communities and loved ones. 
Comfort us and give us hope as we await a time when we can see each other face to face. Be with those in power and all those who hold authority over others. Give them strength and wisdom and your sense of justice so all may be cared for and treated with dignity during this time. Be with our communities that work diligently to stay connected and foster relationships in new ways. Be with first responders and medical personnel that work on the front line of this outbreak. Keep them healthy in mind and body and give them due rest. Be with those that are ill and all in distress. Ease the pain of those suffering and be present with those that are dying. Comfort families that cannot be with sick loved ones now. And be with us. There are people and places on our hearts and minds right now. Hear our prayers and petitions during this moment of silence. Keep us through all of these challenges and give us some new way of living out your story of new life. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Life is short, and we do not have long to gladden the hearts of those around us. So be quick to love, and do good to your neighbor, and allow God to journey with you all of your days. Go now in peace. Mm -hmm.